This is Edgar Papke. This is Ken Sagendorf. We're coming to you live from the Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University here in Denver, Colorado this morning. Good morning, Edgar. Good morning, and welcome to all of you to True Alignment, where we talk about alignment and all its different forms in life at work, at home, in our families, and of course, in our communities and at a personal level. Uh, alignment, the, the great predictor of success. So, Edgar, you know, one of those, one of those penchants of alignment is all of the intersections. So we've been talking last week, we talked a little bit about culture. Yep. And, and today we want to talk, uh, well, well, last week we talked about the intersection of the customer experience with the employee experience, the CX alignment with, with the EX. Yeah, and, and the simple idea that how we work with one another within the context of a team or organization needs to be in alignment to customer experience and when those two are out of alignment um, how, how problematic that can be and uh, during the course since since last week I've had several conversations with people around about that very topic and I think last week we touched on uh, King Supers and the King Super strike and the importance of understanding and one of the things that I thought was so powerful in the around that example and for those of you that aren't familiar with it king supers is a part of kroger's and includes city markets but king supers employees went on strike um i think they were looking for a variety of 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 different um in improvements and benefits and perhaps in pay really what it boiled down to when you stripped everything away is how they felt they were being treated and the remarkable alignment between the community and the employees, those employees that were on the front line and served the community so well, and how when they decided to go on strike, how much the community rallied around them uh, in alignment to, to the values and, and really the beliefs about who the employees and the frontline employees of King Supers are and the importance in people's lives and in, in, in the community. And that was then further... Um, at least where, where I am in Louisville, Colorado, where we had the Marshall fires, that was further um, demonstrated in how the community was coming around the fire and how the employees of King Supers seemed to be a part of that in a very, very powerful way, just like they were throughout the pandemic. So in a way, I'd like to give a shout out to the entire community that I'm part of. Thank you very much. And also just to recognize an incredible level of alignment because if we're not able to treat our employees, and this is the lesson I think at King Super, is if we're not able to treat our employees with the same mutual respect that we do our customers, that we're able to care for them in a significant way, then, well, that conflict's going to show up, and boy, did it ever. So, again, a shout-out to everybody King Supers, and thank you very much for everything that you do. One of the things when I talk to business leaders, uh, and, and I need to talk a little bit about our executive education program, which is walks through these things about honing the skills early on in one's career, honing the skills um, up through the mid part of your career to be the kind of leader that can pay attention to that intersection between the employee experience and the bottom line results of an organization and the customer experience. Yeah. 
and understanding and, and learning about that and having a clear view and an articulation of what that looks like and then to bring oneself into it is so, so critical to the development of, of great leaders and the development of self. There's an aspect of that I think that becomes obvious to us is that all too often we, yes, we, we provide frontline supervisory skill, uh, you know, how to deal with performance issues, how to, how to you know, provide a good performance review and uh, how to manage the day in and day out. Yet, I don't think, I still don't think that overall we do a good enough job of preparing leaders in a more longer term, with a longer term view in mind, and to start getting at some of those elements of alignment, uh, teaching leaders what a great team looks like, teaching leaders what, what their paradigms about teamwork and how people work with one another are, so that they can really early on get a clarity and start getting a sense of their own values, their own beliefs. Um, and a clarity of their own paradigms of what that looks like and to do that early because I think those are the lessons and those, that's the learning. That's the learning that follows us uh, throughout our careers. And all too often I find that the depth of leadership development, which really needs to come more towards the front end, is typically reserved for the back end or when somebody's well along their way. And I think uh, that idea of let's... let's uh, Let's have you demonstrate your leadership and prove it before you are, are uh, fully engaged in the learning is actually contrary uh, to, to what you want to see happen. I think the depth of the learning needs to happen early so that you're not challenging leaders to prove that they should be eligible for training and development, rather the other way around, given the training and development that allows them to succeed. After all, that's that's the definition, isn't it, always? How do we help one another succeed? And in all parts of our lives, and especially in our professional development. Edgar, as you talk about that, you know, I'm hearing questions come through the back of my mind. I do so much work with entrepreneurs, and we just had our first Mentor Saturday for our business competition, the uh, Regis Innovation Challenge. And one of the things that I was trying to help our entrepreneurs know that is if you want to start a business, you have to make a level of commitment to changing someone else's behavior. Right. I mean, you, you need them to purchase your product or service. So they have to do something they weren't doing before yeah. for your business to be successful. You know, in leadership, you know, I think I can draw a couple a couple mental images for, for the audience here. I think sometimes we think of a leader as you empower a collection of individuals. And then uh, you do like, uh, I'll call it bowling alley leadership, right? You put the bumpers in the gutters <laughs> and then you knock them back onto the lane uh -huh. Is there a movie reference coming? Uh, in I don't have one okay. quite yet, right? right. Uh, Kingpin, that would be a really terrible movie reference. But, um, you know, the leader kind of knocks them back towards the alignment. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that we talk about in aligned leadership is not that you're taking a bunch of individuals and trying to uh, put them back in uh, to um, put them back into alignment, mm -hmm. which takes the individual out of the conversation but you're trying to create the lane in the first place, right? Yeah. One is a reactive leadership and one is a proactive leadership. Yes. And when you're talking about teams, if you spend your time in reaction, you're likely going to struggle to find alignment. Yeah, and I think that's very typical. I think that's actually more of the experience that a lot of leaders and team leaders have. 
is that they come into the role without being equipped enough for understanding what the basic tenets or characteristics of success are. And then uh, they're pretty much always either in a corrective mode of some kind or they're chasing what it is that they're they're looking for, which really at the end of the day is the, the alignment of the team and the alignment of the team around a set of distinct characteristics. In the, in the, uh, in our exec ed program, we, we spend some time, one of the modules is dedicated to understanding some of the characteristics of what an, an aligned team looks like, and then to be able to assess it. Because when we assess teams and we take a look at their traits and characteristics of alignment, very often in organizations when we work with teams and we collect this data from team members, we find typically that there's two areas um, that surface, and then there's a, another group right below it that are very important to pay attention to. But the two that show up the most are a lack of conflict management capability among the team and its members, and the other one is self-assessment. Uh, team members and teams very often get together and talk about how are we doing, and uh, aside from formalized team building, the conversations of how are we doing usually is you know, fo- squared focus squarely focused on numbers and you know what are the kpis or key performance indicators what are we getting done so how are we doing has that meaning without looking uh, or spending enough time looking at how are we doing as a team and how aligned are we and it's kind of interesting when you think about it because in order to have conflict you need open communication you need the ability for people to be openness to be open and not have the fear of speaking truthfully about how the team is functioning and what their experience is well, you're not going to be able to do that kind of a assessment and improvement work on an ongoing basis unless you look at those two as in a way of being one. Because if we're going to have frank, honest conversations about how we're doing, there's two things we need. One is uh, a structure, a framework uh, to look at it systemically. And then the other one is the ability to have that open dialogue and to create that. And that of in itself, I think, is something that leaders and team leaders need to be able to acknowledge and learn about right up front, right up front. So this is, uh, you know, with my terrible humor, I borrow a, a quote from a friend of mine, Steve Jones, and he always says, you know, there's never a good time for the cat to throw up on the carpet um, because, you know, there's never a good time to talk about how teams function, how they assess how well they're doing. Yeah. Um, but there's some things that can help. So in your work with, with the organizations and on alignment and, and specifically designing organizations for, for alignment, you, you talk about characteristics of teams, yeah. of, of aligned teams. Mm-hmm. And so if we, if we take, if, if you were sitting down with a, with a leader right now, um, you know, what, what are the first things for creating, creating aligned teams that you, you would say? You talked about conflict management as a tool. So we're getting into the how. So bring me from the what to the how. What does a leader mm-hmm. need to know to what? And and I want to do both because so oftentimes uh, leadership training, what you read about leadership is all about what. But if we're talking about that EX experience that really is that employee experience that's aligned to the customer experience, that's how. I mean, a, right. lot of, a lot of what we've been talking about on the True Alignment podcast so far is about how an organization is. Yeah. Wow, that's a really great starting point. Um, because just the how alone in team 
um, when you think about teaming, very often the how is what's our strategy. And so to have an aligned strategy is, is, uh, is absolutely necessary. How we implement that strategy becomes even more important, and I think that's what you're touching on in your question, if I'm not mistaken. Indeed. Yeah. So, and so I do begin. I do begin with the simple idea of what is our strategic alignment, and that takes a, a higher level approach to begin with, which is what's our purpose. So, within the construct of an organization, what is the purpose of the organization? What is the purpose of our team and our existence in contributing to that and being a part of that? And from there, then to be able to think about it and break it down more strategically is a focus on result. So uh, one characteristic to really look at and create clarity on right at the start is what is our purpose and what is our focus on result? In other words, what are the actual outcomes that our strategies are intended to, to create? So to begin with that and have that kind of clarity. The second one that I think about is, of course, this cultural piece. And this one is important to unpack because one of the things we do within the construct of teams is we have teaming agreements or working agreements. Um, you know, theoretical, theoretically and philosophically speaking, how do we go about doing what we do and what is in the best interest of the team individually and collectively how to get there? Keep in mind, the definition of a high-performing team is a group of aligned individuals committed to creating extraordinary results for themselves and one another. Again, it's a group uh, yeah, aligned. Yeah, aligned. An interdependent group. Aligned, yeah. And, that they're, and that's one of the, uh, the keys then to think about what, what does purpose look like, uh, what, are, what does focus on result look like, and then how do we go about doing that and how is each person responsible we're living in alignment to the desired team culture. So we have operating agreements, ways that we do things. There's more to it than that. And I think this becomes very important to recognize that we need to be able to have a conversation about elements of trust and how it is that we bring those to life, how we listen to one another as part of culture, um, how we uh, encourage and how it is that we help one another. And so we begin to go a little but further and deeper in, in, into culture and making sure that in an organizational context, we understand the uniqueness of our team in relationship to the culture of the whole or the organization. We need to have those, those conversations. Very often teams take pride in saying, well, we're not like the rest of them. You know, they want to be rebels uh, only to fail to understand how to integrate their, their own uniqueness into the whole, into, into the culture of the organization which becomes really important, especially for the leader. The leader needs to be able to see that and needs to be able to articulate and be able to talk about that with the team. Who are we? What's our culture? How does that align to or what are the, what are the, um, uh, what are the different elements of uniqueness that we need to really appreciate and be aware of so we don't misstep, we don't trip over, <laughs> trip over the, the, uh, the values of the culture as a whole? And so a strong team culture begins to look at those pieces. And then how we do things, alignment around processes. And there's two that always show up in teams that are really, really important. And then uh, you help us to define roles and, and um, individual contributions. But the two, I think, that 
that really matter a lot in terms of culture and inform, and inform members of the team. One is how we solve problems, and the other one is how we make decisions, and a clarity that comes with that. One of the weaknesses that we see over and over in organizations and that leaders point to in their own organizations is a lack of problem-solving skill or lack of problem-solving process. And what process does, it gives people a sense of predictability on how we do things. So it's important for a team to understand how it is that they go about solving problems, to identify the right problems, not to, not to, uh, not to just go after the long-hanging fruit, low-hanging fruit that makes us feel good. Rather, what are the real problems and right problems to, to be solved? One of the things we, we discovered, and I think we probably mentioned this in a previous podcast, when Tom Lockwood and I uh, wrote the book uh, Innovation by Design, and a follow-up to that, was the realization that um, organizations that teach their people a much, much almost like a standardized or um, a preferred methodology like design thinking to innovate and solve problems outperform others, which reminds us of the importance that teams at the team level understand their problem-solving processes. It gives people confidence. It gives them the wherewithal to do it well. And then the decision-making because in teams, decision-making can happen in so many different ways, from the leader as a single-person decision-maker to ad hoc, uh, small minority group decision-making on behalf of the whole. Some groups, of course, uh, run along the lines of voting and majority rule, uh, only to, of course, be surprised that that doesn't always work very well. And, and the building consensus. What's the definition of consensus? Is that, okay, I'll go along with the, with, with the, with the outcome, or that I really commit to it. Because one of the characteristics of high-performing teams, we typically think of it as accountability. I, I have a distinct preference for responsibility and commitment. Um, they're both in the present and future-oriented, and commitment is a, a keeping of a promise, because at the end of the day, that's really what we're asking for. So, Edgar, we talked about, we started the podcast from the Great Resignation. Yeah, and with you, a great and, alignment. Like and a great alignment, things, yeah. right? I mean, and, and that was about uh, that commitment. Yeah. And, and whether or not um, the great alignment really is about people saying, I'm not sure if this is what I want to commit to. Mm-hmm. And and perhaps leaders missing missing out on that. There's been a whole lot written in the, in the last six months, eight months, a year. Yeah. About leadership and in, in missing how to drive that um, collective commitment. I know one of the conversations I'm having with, with employees that are part of teams right now is if a leader makes a team a plug-and-play organization, people are struggling to find commitment to the organization. Yeah. Right? If they're just a cog that makes the result and they can't feel their personal commitment in there, that there's a there's they they're feeling a lack of alignment perhaps. Yeah, and there's something powerful in that. And well, there's a number of things. One is, if I'm committed, uh, there's a sense of not just making you a promise, I'm making myself a promise, and I think that's important. Uh, accountability. I always like breaking down the word. My ability to account for my past behavior. Um, that's that's a hindsight kind of approach to things. And I think it comes from also that we don't, and leaders do not ask enough around 
for commitment and the conversation about a commitment. And I think the underlying here is the fear that's associated with it. Because um, if I'm asking you, and in a way at times I may even, the, the recipient of the ask is going to feel challenged. It's kind of like, can you commit to this or not? Is asking you, be truthful, be honest. And if you are not able to commit, then, hey, tell me what's going on. Let's have that conversation, which really in a way, when you think about the level of leadership and the authenticity that that, that requires, that's powerful. It's so, so powerful to look someone in the eye and say, are you really committed to this? Or am, are we missing something? Or am I missing something as a leader? Because you may get that feedback as a leader, and maybe you don't want to hear, yet reality is you need to hear it. You know, I've run into this so many times is that the leader feels that the main responsibility is to set the, to set the destination and then yeah. require you to be on board or not uh, to that commitment mm-hmm. conversation. But the, the work in getting the team to commit to that vision is, is often what I see some leaders miss. So here's the result we want. We get a lot of, and in all of the, uh, listen, you're an, you're an organizational psych background person, uh, and given your work, that work is not just to declare the vision and expect people to commit, but to do the consistent work it takes to draw that commitment. Yeah. Which in a way is, um, not just consistent behavior on your part as a leader, it's the dialogue. It really is the dialogue the ability to dialogue at a level of really listening. Uh, Dialogue in of itself, speaking of breaking down words, uh, when you think about discussion, uh, you break down the word and you have dis and cushion, right? The Greek root for for hitting one another. So with discourse, so discussion is actually we're hitting one another with with our views. And uh, discussion has its place, I'm sure. Uh, Dialogue, and, and I think this is a, the reference to um, uh, Star Trek. And uh, when Captain Kirk at the end of the, each program was logging, you know, the logging, and what we really, what we really witnessed at that moment was, was his exploring the truth and his own truth and to record that. And so when we think about dia, dyad, and logging is to record. We record we have to be able to hear and really listen to what the other person is saying to be able to record what their intention is uh, and what it is that they're trying to communicate with us. Uh, thanks for bringing the Hollywood reference in there so that I don't have to to struggle for, for thinking of one. You know, we were talking, we were right I was down. waiting for you to drop into the Big Lebowski, big Lebowski when it came to bowling. bowling reference for sure. Um, the, uh, God, I love that. I, I I've got to get one of those sweaters. By the way, if anybody out there is, if you're ever thinking about getting one, it's actually Pendleton, and I think that's out of Oregon. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where it's out of. Yeah. Anyway, an East Coast guy, I want it to be out of Maine, I guess. Yeah. Right? Feels like a Maine thing to me, but I don't know. Well, can be. I, I don't know. Lebowski. <laughs> you should look obviously, Lebowski. <laughs> Big Lebowski. You, you should look it's up universal. where Pendleton's from. That's yeah, right. It's universal. Yeah. So, so Edgar, I love this uh, idea of of dialogue and discussion. So. Mm-hmm. 
you know, many times a leader can get caught in the trap of talking to every individual and not focusing on the performance of the, of the whole team. Mm-hmm. And that, that's challenging for a leader, right? I mean, to keep to, to, to keep all that information straight of every individual. And I can see why a leader would be drawn to making sure every individual is getting the support that they individually need. But let's come back to this kind of uh, team culture, uh, a strong team culture. You know, it has a focus on results mm-hmm. and you have culture. And the leadership required to balance both of those. What's the one big piece of advice that you would give a leader? Um, if, if a leader were to sit down with a pad like we have in front of us now or, or a computer and they were to draw a picture of how I'm going to be a leader that drives a strong team culture, focuses on results. You mentioned problem solving and decision making as two key things. Specifically, what would they do um, to drive a, a way that the organization, the way that your team in the organization solves problems? Uh, just the problem solving piece of it? Well, let's do that one first. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the, with the larger perspective and then move into that one. Um, from a greater perspective, I'd say you look at it through the lens of design, which is um, the idea of that I deconstruct what my role as a leader is. Take a look at all the different, and you can mind map this. You might even want to get in front of a big whiteboard and do it for yourself. Or you could sketch it out. But I think visualizing it is important. So I would begin with mind mapping, putting myself at the center as a leader, and then looking at the different um, tasks or uh, different parts of what my leadership looks like, including um, how I lead problem solving, decision-making, what's my preferred way of decision-making. And in a way, begin, and this is very natural, begin looking at, at through the lens of what's working and what's not and where do I need to develop and think differently, which then, of course, from that awareness, and here we are, we're back at awareness and alignment, is an awareness of who I am and aligning my behavior to what I think my ideal leadership looks like. So in other words, it's a, a deconstruct the present, and then begin designing the ideal. This is what it looks like and where I'm going, and breaking it down, looking at those different pieces. I think in particular the idea of problem solving is important because leaders set such paradigms for problem solving. If I, if I solve problems with urgency and impatience, uh, then I'll probably not listen as well or get input as well. If I'm looking to create too much consensus, then I may be seen as someone that doesn't lead... Uh, with with perhaps with a certain level of intention. And so I, I think it begins again with understanding myself, deconstruct how I like to solve problems, and then take a look at it through the lens of the team and what's going to be in best service to the team. And it may be, and may be that that allows me then to see what kind of a conversation or dialogue with the team that I need to have around problem solving. If a team If a team is newly formed, they'll probably need me as a leader to tell them, here's a process. Let's learn a step-by-step process. Just like a new employee coming into a high-performing, innovative organization, you learn the process. And what are the skills and, and, and uh, behaviors that allow me to engage in the process successfully? So begin by teaching that. If I have a more developed team to lead, then it's asking them, 
How do you guys problem solve? How do you come about doing this? And it's really important in today's world as we move more and more to remote um, capabilities and problem solving is one that very often, because there's team check-ins and everybody's talking about what's getting done, how it's getting done, we're probably not carving out enough time for problem solving. And so, and then there's one last piece to this that I think is important, is understand within the culture context, the culture itself, what some ways to problem solve will work better than others. And I think that's important. So it's less, again, as always, less for me as a matter of balance rather than integrating those different ideas and different ways of coming at it. But certainly I'd start with the mapping it out and saying, who am I? And then start looking into specific areas. Yeah, such level of awareness required um, to be a leader. And that's why our uh, learning to lead executive ed programming is around uh, developing some of that awareness. Yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty much the focal point of it. Uh, we're living in this age of awareness, and you, you can see it, and that's what the Great Alignment is about, is people increasing their level of awareness and getting more and more clear on how they want to design their lives and what really works for them, what is an expression of, them, of their true self. And that, and that has quite a spectrum attached to it. There's no rights and wrongs there. Um, it's, it's a matter of getting aligned to it. You know, Edgar, you really, um, you strike, and I use that phrase, you know, again, I got to work on that. Um, you strike at the heart of how difficult leadership is when you say, you know, if you have a, if you have an experienced team as a leader, you come in and listen to how they problem solve. And if you have a new team, you create some structure to how they problem solve as a team. You know, and there's two elements to pay particular attention to here. One is, what is their level of competency or skill? And when a team is new, they need to, they need to begin to develop those skills. And providing a process, providing them with tools, allows them to gain the competency. The other one to pay particular attention to is what their confidence and motivation is. Um, how willing are they? to engage, how willing are they to step into it and, and uh, get into real good problem solving. And uh, those two are the two elements. And so early on when a team is new, you build their confidence by building their competency. And there's a training, there's a repetition that begins to take place. And as people practice, I'd, I like to always say that, um, you know, to be a master of a discipline, we practice. We practice we, to, to attain mastery of any discipline. And the same holds true for teams and problem solving. So to provide them early on with the ability to have confidence and build confidence as they build their skills, and you move them forward. If you have a highly skilled team and you walk in and start telling them how to do things, they may become quickly demotivated because they're psychologically in a much different place their sense of what they're concerned about is going to be very different than a new team coming together for the first time or that you have to help engage in building uh, you know, building their confidence as well as their, their competencies. Do you find that to be more true in the, in the knowledge worker community? You know, I work in higher ed. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of expertise yeah. in narrow oh, areas. That's a great, that's a great one. And so, so that expertise often 
creates conditions for for some clash. Yeah. Right. And and because we all come up through slightly different disciplinary lenses, um, you know, and I you know I recall my entree into kind of the knowledge domain in, in the scientific disciplines, and, and that was really peer review yeah. was a model of. It was a model of destruction, frankly, in my experience, right? I mean, you got honed into the behaviors of the team uh-huh. in kind of a destructive manner. Um, yeah, in a very challenging way, to say the least. You were always challenged so yeah. that, you know, the idea was always that your your thinking became better because you could anticipate the challenge. And, and I know personally that's how I tend to, 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 to work. And that, yeah. uh, listen, that makes me not friendly, uh, to a lot of people, um, to have that kind of challenge in, in a team meeting. Yeah. A couple of thoughts come to mind. One is that, um, the cultural piece, which is that again, leaders need to be able to, uh, be able to communicate culture. And so here's how we do it here. You can have someone very experienced walk in the door and say, yeah, I know how to do this. And they may have the expertise and knowledge. They may not have the competencies that fit the culture on how it gets done. So sometimes you got to slow somebody down this before you can speed them up. And with a well-developed team, a listening first and then discovering how to speed them up or what works and what doesn't becomes a matter of inquiry and a matter of study, the discipline of observation, and not just you know carrying, carrying on like you typically perhaps would. And then there's the culture fees. You know, what, what's acceptable within the cultural construct? Some... In some cultures, problem-solving is done. Let's get everybody to the table and everybody gets involved. In other cultures, it's ad hoc teaming. Just get the experts in the room that have to be there. In other cultures, we single out the person that we think is best equipped to solve the problem and we let them go at it. Very different approaches and very different ways that we influence people's behavior in that, in that context of problem-solving. And there's a cascading teaming too, right? Yes. I mean, you have the the leader talks to the people that report to them, and then the people that report to that person, you know, have to do turn around and do the same skill set with their team. Yeah. Right. So you have this kind of Russian doll model of teaming across the organization. Yeah, Russian dolls in a kind of interesting way remind us of alignment because there's a, such a consistency as you as you move through those right as you uncover each one, and I think you you hit that right on the nail head. And so when you think about cross-functional teaming and working across organizations, having some consistency, and this goes back to teaching people the moment they walk in the door, here's our problem-solving process. Here's our process for design and innovation. This is how we do things. Um, It does so much for the individual in terms of their confidence, their motivation, their ability to feel secure in their competency set. Um, Yeah, again, the better that you can do that so that everyone is familiar with the quote unquote the how things get done, yeah, priceless. Leadership turnover, Edgar. Yeah. Uh, in terms of alignment amongst the team mm-hmm. to to aim towards that results, but also in how they act. Can you speak a little bit to things that you've seen successfully when there's uh, high amounts of leadership turnover in an organization? Yeah, that's uh seems to be a very a loaded current. one. Yeah, yeah, it's so loaded. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to that. Uh, I think that leaders, just like everyone in organizations, I think can get frustrated that there's not enough um, attention on their development. 
So I think a lot of leadership is learned, obviously, through trial and error. I think leaders would benefit on how to apply that trial and error element if they were better equipped and uh, we paid more attention to that. So I think leaders are, and especially now because there's such a demand for great leadership, it's increasing because people are becoming more and more aware of how they want to be led and what they're looking for. So I think that's uh, that's an important piece of it, is that there's still, uh, as far as I can tell, not enough leadership development and a focus on that. I think there's also the piece around the culture. How well do we articulate a culture and how well do we hire for a culture and, and develop leaders within the, in the context of a culture? I think that's an important piece. We still um, find that most leaders talk a good game of culture. They really don't understand it very well, uh, understand the traits and characteristics in a way that they can really observe and uh, interpret a culture. So I think there's also that piece of it, that uh, in the hiring process or, once again, as we're finding leaders within the organization to, to, to bring into the leadership ranks, that uh, we spend more time um, teaching and articulating culture. And a reminder here that is so, so powerful is that so much of what happens, especially in a team construct, when we start looking at different parts of the organization, is that the leader's paradigm for how things, how teams work, that's what they were going to encourage. That's what they were going to bring. You know, It's kind of like saying, this is my style, so we're going to do, do it this way as opposed to what is the best way or way that best serves the team and its membership. And having that awareness, that's a, that's a big piece of that cultural awareness that comes, that comes with it. Yeah. And so you can get the result, right? I yes. mean, that's, it's not never an absence of the result. Yeah. And it, it goes back to, if you look at the different characteristics of a high performing team, you know, focus on results, the team culture, the, the alignment of leadership, which is what we're talking about now, you know, shared commitment, trust, open communication, definitions of trust and what that looks like. And then that one characteristic of high-performing teams is self-knowledge. Just like we as individuals, a team needs to know how they're functioning. And that requires an ongoing conversation. So the how isn't just the measurement of performance. The how is how is our team functioning and how do we improve that? How can we have a, an ongoing conversation about that? Uh, so much being written right now with the remote workforce um, that is uh, bringing this uh, how to work component of that uh, self-knowledge, uh, you know, assessing how we work, assessing what we do and how we do it um, and how we accomplish it. Yeah. I got to tell you, if I'm building a, a remote team, one of the first conversations I want to have with people is let's talk about teaming. Let's talk about what this looks like. And what do you think will work and not work? And you can find the common threads and start building on that and present them as a leader, present them back to the team and say, here's what I've heard from all of you. How does this sound? I don't know. Let's start with this and remind ourselves we're going to keep coming back to this conversation. And early on at the end of every meeting, leave some time, leave some space to say, okay, how are we, how are we functioning? How do you think we're doing? How we think and we think we're doing with communication, role definition, all the different pieces of what makes a team great. So, Edgar, we had to adapt and adjust here as we reach time on this week's uh, podcast. We had to adjust and adapt. We were going to have author Jack Russell, yeah, uh, this week, and he, and he had an emergency and couldn't be on, and so we'll, we'll rebook him. But um, next week we're going to come back to this to this leadership question and 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 leading aligned teams. Uh, because there's so much more here. Agreed. 
and and you know I think next week as we as we can kind of move into that development of commitment and and we talk about the the leader's role in developing commitment amongst their team and I think we need to revisit this how do we assess our performance not just in terms of results but also how we work I think that's a good anchor for us to come back to because in two weeks we're going to have uh, Tim's story on. Yeah, Tim's a remarkable, yeah, human being. Yeah, Tim is a he's an author, he's a spiritual guide, he's a life coach. Um, his cl- and clients include Smokey Robinson. He works with Oprah and uh, a couple of other folks that <laughs> we're all familiar with. You know, and a really just a really centered and very aligned human being and. Uh, we look forward to having that conversation with him. Yeah. Exciting. Exciting uh, to have him with us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. How, how shall we wrap up? Well, as we typically do, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, your questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all, as always, are welcome, uh, including during these live podcasts. Uh, please feel free to engage at whatever level and w- what works for you and to uh, have your questions answered. And uh, with that, I hope to see you again, or at least (laughs) share time with you again in the future. This is Edgar Papke. This is Ken Sagendorf. Thanks to our audience. Thank you, Edgar. And thank you for listening to True Alignment.